everybody. Uh, thrilled to be here with you today. Um, really excited to introduce one of my favorite people in finance, Stephanie Cohen. Um, I had the good fortune of working with Stephanie for a few years at Goldman prior to joining Andreessen. Um, and so this should be a fun conversation. We're going to touch a little bit on Stephanie's background, a little bit of Goldman's sort of strategic priorities and initiatives, um, and then maybe the firm's perspective on fintech. Let's start, maybe I'll share a little bit of Stephanie's background. Uh, Stephanie's the co-head of the Consumer and Wealth Management Division um, and, and a member of the firm's management committee. Prior, she was the chief strategy officer uh, where she helped drive firmwide strategy, M&A, strategic investing and partnerships. Um, in that seat, she launched launched with GS, which I know she's very passionate about, which is a billion dollar commitment to back diverse entrepreneurs as well as diverse uh, investment managers. Um, and she started GS Accelerate, which was the firm's incubation effort. Before becoming an operator, Stephanie was uh, a career banker where she served as the global head of financial sponsor M&A, as well as the head of the global industrials business. Thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you for calling me an operator. I feel like I've graduated. Wow. <laughs> Exactly. In that vein, I guess, you know, you were a career banker before becoming chief strategy officer. You now run a division with almost 10,000 people. Maybe you can talk through kind of a little bit of the differences in those roles and maybe a little bit about sort of how you think about managing talent and, and recruiting sure. people. Um, it's great to be here. Okay. So yes, running a division with 10,000 people is very different than being an investment banker. And I now have new appreciation for when I used to sit down with investment banking clients and we would give them advice. And they would look at me and be like, you know, that's like a great idea on a PowerPoint page, but someone actually has to execute that, that thing. And so now, now I understand um, what that really means. The, the thing, though, that is consistent across all of it, which, you know, people are feeling now more than ever, is about the people. So in investment banking, I think I was successful in investment banking because people wanted to work with me. But I really spend so much time in investment banking trying to make the people around me better. And the thing I needed to figure out is that when you have a reasonably small team, you can do that one-on-one. -on -one. You certainly can't do that one-on-one -on -one with 10,000 people. And so then what are all the things that you have to put in place in order to make 10,000 people successful? And Goldman Sachs has 46,000 people, but the consumer and wealth management business is a totally different business than the rest of Goldman Sachs. It's much more of an operating business. And so we had to put in a bunch of things that were really not as necessary in the other businesses around real clarity on strategy, making sure we were providing people real visibility on strategy, you know, things that you all have figured out a long time ago, which is things like OKRs and other things that are real management tools that help people understand where we're trying to go and how they fit into that. And so while there's a ton of things that are different between being an investment banker um, and, ru and running a, a division, um, the thing I spend the most time focused on is, is the people. Awesome. And, and, you know, Goldman is a fairly complicated institution. It has, you know, a bunch of different business units. I know, I mean, I was there <laughs> Uh, you helped to articulate the firm's strategy at uh, the firm's first investor day, which I think was the first in 150-year history of the firm. Uh, no pressure. First yeah, investor, uh, 150 years. Maybe you can walk through sort of, you know, how, how should we be thinking about Goldman and its various sort of divisions? And what are some of the kind of core strategic initiatives or objectives of the firm? And how's the firm doing against? Yeah, one of the things that we really focused on doing was trying to be clear about that one because it matters to our investors. Like if, if our, your investors are confused about what you do, it, it's not a good day. The second thing is part of what this conference is about was just how can we be easier for people to work with? And I remember when I started in strategy, there were five different areas of Goldman Sachs that did some sort of growth equity type investing. And so 
um, I would talk to people and they would send me notes and they'd be like, these five people from Goldman Sachs have reached out to me because they want to talk to me at this conference. Who in the world am I supposed to meet with? And that, that's a small example of what was going on kind of all over the firm. And so what we tried to do was be clear on what, it, what is our mission, which is to advance sustainable economic growth and financial opportunity, which is really that we're proud advocates for inclusive capitalism. And then get the company organized around our clients. No one cares how we're organized. No client cares like what division you're in, who your boss is, what they care is whether we can serve you. And so what we did was we organized ourselves around our main client groups, which were corporates and governments, institutions, and individuals. And so we got everything organized. You know, sometimes we call it like socks in the sock drawer. We got everything in a reasonable place, and we got everyone rallied around something we call one Goldman Sachs. And then um, we came out with very clear strategy, which was to grow and strengthen our existing businesses. We are market leaders in things like investment banking and trading and asset management, and we want to continue to grow those businesses. But then we also wanted to diversify into these other businesses that are more fee-based and recurring. And there's a bunch of businesses in there where we really think that we can be a disruptor. Um, there are things like what we're doing in consumer, things like what we're doing in transaction banking. There's what we're doing in the alternative investing space and making that more of a fund-based business than the expansion in our wealth management franchise. And then like everyone else who does an investor day, we, we, we need to put KPIs out there. So we needed to put real targets out there. And we spent a long time figuring out what those targets were um, and making sure that they really aligned with our objectives. Um, and we just did an update and we basically are meeting or exceeding the, the vast majority of, the, of those targets, which is, which is a good thing for those of us who are involved in, in the original investor day. But more importantly, I actually think the way people inside Goldman Sachs has changed how they think. So totally focused on the client, start with the client and work backwards rather than focused on how we're organized inside the division. There's a real ability and desire to be part of transformational change. And so you don't have to toil away in a little corner like you there that is front and center if you're part of these businesses that are growing rather than if you're part of the businesses we've been in for a really long time. And I think we've done a good job of integrating people who are not traditional Goldman Sachs employees in, into, the, into the, the business. You know, one of the things that I've been very focused on is in these businesses where we're trying to transform whole industries, we, we need to have technology and engineering talent running those businesses. And so if you look at transaction banking and our consumer business, both of those businesses are run by engineers. And we, we couldn't have said that um, a little while ago. I guess in that vein, I know you've been a, you know, a lifer at Goldman and um, you know, have seen the firm evolve quite a bit. I mean, how is the firm sort of perception of technology change, the culture of sort of tech innovation internally, um, you know, since you've been there and, and maybe more recently? So technology has been important to Goldman Sachs for a really long time. If you look, we were dealing with the transformation of the equities business in the 80s. And so technology is critical to our largest businesses for a really long time. But that was generally about technology facilitating a business um, rather than technology itself being the business. And so the things that have changed is the, the thing I said before, which is we have engineers running businesses. The second thing is the developer as the customer. And so this idea of us building capabilities so that we can actually serve developers directly and so that developers can interact with us programmatically rather than needing your coverage person to, to give you a call in order, for you to, in order for you to work with us. And I would say on the first, we've made a lot of progress. And on the second, I think we're a work in progress. 
Um, and we'll take like all the advice we can get on, on, on how to do that better. Some of that's hiring the right people. Some of that's building your technology the right way. But some of that is just having a totally different way of being. The firm's not building their own word processor anymore, I guess. Because <laughs> I know. Yeah, when I start, yeah, when I started, right when I started, we gotten rid of our own word processor. We had our own word processor. But we, you know, this is one of these like really hard things to answer, which is how much should you build yourself versus how much should you use other people? And in if you think about the trading business again, in people's defense, there's only a few people in the world that actually need the trading systems that we need. And so the idea that you're going to get that from someone else is it doesn't work. So yes, we. In addition to the word processor, we still have SecDB, which is basically how we manage risk. And that was created in our own language. So slang, because programming language wasn't flexible enough to build what we wanted at the time. Now you wouldn't need it, but at the time you really needed it. So I think there are certain places where actually building things from the ground up is real competitive advantage. But, but I do think we're still learning on this topic um, inside of things like our consumer business, um, because there we actually very deliberately said, we're not going to build everything ourselves. If we're going to get speed to market the way we wanted to, we couldn't do that. But as all of you kind of know, it's really difficult to build the customer experience you want if, you, if you're not building certain things. And so I would say we're still working through the right mix. Um, I, know, I mean, the firm kind of reorganized it, itself, as you described, and brought together a few different businesses to kind of create the consumer and wealth management vision. Maybe you can kind of unpack what lives within the consumer and wealth management vision today. Um, you know, what does it look like today? How do you sort of see it evolving in the next five or, you know, 10 years? So the consumer wealth management business is the only business inside Goldman Sachs that serves individuals directly. Uh, we have over a trillion dollars in client assets. We have over 13 million customers. Last year, we had seven and a half billion dollars in revenue. And we're really focused on growing that business. We, we affectionately call ourselves the, the growth division. And it's divided into three different businesses. The first business is our private wealth management business. That's an advisor-led business. That's a global business. The second business is called Personal Financial Management Group. It works with corporates to help their employees with financial wellness. And then the third business is our digital consumer banking platform, which is the Goldman Sachs Marcus business. And it's the business that embeds our capabilities into the ecosystems of our partners. And we have around 10,000 people in the business globally. We are doing our best to make sure it's built on a singular technology platform. And so that's the reason to kind of bring all of these businesses together, because there are certainly a lot of ways that the private wealth management business and the consumer business are very different businesses. But if you think about the digital capability that we're building in consumer, there's no reason why we shouldn't be offering that capability to our private wealth management clients. And if you think about the business that's in the middle, which works with corporates, they're working with the executives, they're working with people in middle management, and they're working with people who are hourly employees. And so they're using actually capabilities that come from across the entire division. Um, I know one of the big kind of strategic moves that the firm made um, was, you know, not, not just powering and owning kind of the end client experience, but offering the firm's sort of capabilities as enabling infrastructure for clients to build on. And so, you know, famous examples of that are like the Apple card. Uh, you guys did a big partnership with GM. There was also a, a deal with Stripe to power Stripe Treasury. How do you sort of think about and or reconcile sort of the need or the interest in owning kind of the end client versus sort of opening up, you know, the firm sort of as a platform? David, how many hours inside of Goldman Sachs did we, you and I spent talking about this exact topic? I feel, like, I feel like you can answer, you should just answer this question for me. Um, okay, so I think that's a false choice. Like people are like, why are you, like, why are you doing that instead of this? I think it's a false choice. 
we have what we call two self-reinforcing strategies. The first one is Goldman Sachs Marcus, where we want to be someone's primary bank on their phone. Today, we have savings, lending, invest, and insights. Um, and then we'll launch checking. And at that point in time, we can man help someone manage their financial life. We then take all of those capabilities plus card, and we can embed them in the ecosystems of our partners. We think there are plenty of people who don't want to go to their bank. They want their bank to come to them. They want to experience financial services and ecosystems that they love and trust, where really the bank piece of it is kind of invisible. And we think we can do that. And there are a lot of reasons why we think we have competitive advantage to do that. But one of the main reasons is that we have been around for over 150 years. We have really strong corporate relationships. And so our ability to partner with corporates and for them to trust us to power their business, I think is really differentiated. And we think about that business the same way we think about the investment banking business, which is we are trying to help them grow their business. So it's not about selling them this financial product or that financial product. It's the question for General Motors, which is how do you create more loyalty and stickiness with your customer? How do you help them manage financial decisions? And so today it's a card, but over time we would hope that it's a deeper multi-product relationship. Um, I feel like one of the businesses that the world doesn't, or maybe at least this is my point of view, that uh, you know, doesn't really, isn't as familiar with, but I think is sort of a hidden gem within Goldman is ACO. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that business and kind of what you're doing on the wealth management side for corporates, you know, and their employees in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that there's a war for talent going on. And if you think about most people, their wealth is created at their place of employment. And people expect their employer to help them manage their financial lives. And on top of that, actually, if you look at mental health, a significant amount of mental health issues come from people who can't man or enable or having issues with managing their financial lives. And so this is a very important capability that an employer wants to offer to their employees. And so we help them do that. ACO has been around for over 50 years. We bought the business almost 20 years ago. And at the time, it was serving executives. And so that worked for some period of time. It was basically a benefit to executives. And what we realized was that we needed to be able to serve all of the employees um, at any given company. And by the way, companies of all different shapes and sizes, they can be you know, private equity business, they can be a hedge fund business, they could be a growth stage business, or they can be a more established corporate. And so we bought United Capital a couple of years ago. And so now what that does, plus the digital solution that we've built, allows us to go to a company and say, we can serve your executives, so we can serve middle management, and we can serve um, hourly employees that are, that are sitting in stores. And what it does is creates an environment where employees are able to discuss financial issues with someone who has expertise, certainly in financial planning and wealth management, but also actually has intimate knowledge of that company because there's economies of scale with the fact that we're serving, depending on the company, tens, hundreds, or thousands. Uh, of employees. And so we believe that this is one, a really great benefit to the employees, but also the employer. And it's another really good example of how we're thinking about that corporate business that we've been in for, call it 150 years and combining what we do in investment banking to what we're doing in wealth management. And, and do you view it sort of as distribution for kind of manufactured products internally, or is it also, you know, for third-party products? Like how do you sort of... By design, it's totally open architecture. Okay. Um, and so, yes, there's wealth management business that, that comes from that. And then, by the way, our wealth management platform is also totally open architecture. And so, well, if we're going to credibly go to an employer and say, we're going to help you manage your financial life and we're going to give you advice around that, 
than being open architectures. They're really important. Um, obviously, the you know private wealth business has you know an amazing brand. It's one of the leading kind of franchises in the in its space. Um, but it, it also feels, at least from the outside, like one that really hasn't evolved. Maybe from a technology perspective, um, you know, how do you sort of send feedback, David? Well, <laughs> you can ask the audience. But um, uh, yeah, I guess how do you sort of see that that you know business in particular sort of evolving, or you know, what are you hoping it accomplishes in the next few years to kind of meet client expectations um, and stay kind of relevant within this ecosystem. Yeah, the, this is one of the the best businesses inside of, of Goldman Sachs. And it's a really good example of us building a business over many, many decades and kind of continuously investing in the business despite the market environment. And if you look at this business, like half of our clients have been with us for over a decade. The average advisor tenure is you know, almost 15 years. Like this is a business where longevity really matters and personal relationship really matters, but we we can't stand still. We have to keep evolving. And so one of the benefits of bringing the wealth management business together with the consumer business is that we are going to be able to provide our clients with much better digital experience. And so we recently released a new app. It's gotten much better reviews um, than the previous um, app, but we're just getting started and making sure that we create all, we take all the digital capability that we are building and, and, and get it to the clients in the wealth business. But it's not just the, the technology piece, which definitely matters. It's also how we think about who we serve as clients. And you know, one of the things that we've really been focused on is how are we serving women? How are we serving people of color? How are we selling, servicing LGBTQ clients? And it's not as if all those people are exactly the same, but the way that the product set, the way the product set looks, the way the advisor interaction works, the events that we have and what matters to them. You know, it's really important that we're thinking about not just where the world is today, but where the world is headed. And so there are a lot of things that we're doing around catering to, to different audiences than we had typically been focused on. And I, I know you've done, I mean, you've done a few inter, uh, acquisitions in the, in the, you know, in the Marcus business. You've, you've obviously bought United Capital. Is private wealth another kind of segment where you, you see M&A kind of as part of the strategy? And the, the bar for M&A in general, um, speaking as the ex-chief strategy officer, which M&A was part of my mandate, the bar for M&A was always high. Um, the, the way to think about the wealth business is there's the whole people side of the business. And as our, people know, like doing M&A and people businesses is really hard to do. And so we never say never, but because we did that with Un mm. United Capital, but it's definitely hard to do M&A on the people side of the business. But capabilities is certainly a place. Um, where it makes sense for us to, to spend time looking. I, I guess in that vein for this audience, like how, how should fintech entrepreneurs be thinking about partnering with Goldman? Like where do you see, what are the types of partnerships that you sort of see as most viable? Ian, do you want to answer the question? Again, oh. this is like the other half. And you, this is the other half of the When we were talking about financial cloud banking as a service, we were spending time on this topic and being better at this. Um, we want to be the partner of choice for for companies as they're growing their business. And one, I'll, I'll say, if, if you don't feel like we're easy to deal with, like, please just like email or call me directly because one, we'll probably solve the problem, but two, it'll give me really good feedback. The thing we, we try to do is we try to get to quick yes or no, because I actually think that's the place that we can cause the most torture, the most pain um, is when we just keep asking questions over and over and over again. And then at the end, we, we don't get there. And so we're, we're trying our best to get to quick yes or no. The second thing is trying to make the companies better, either by leveraging the network that Goldman Sachs has, but also 
in places where we can use the requirements that we have in order to improve the business. So I think about things like cyber, where we spend a lot of time and our requirements around cyber. In a lot of those cases, we actually make the companies a lot better and allow them to win other customers after we've spent time with them on those things. There are places across Goldman Sachs, and I've done my best to explain Goldman Sachs in a, in a way that's easy to understand. But for this question, I do think that spending time in places where we're the closest to a fintech is probably the easiest places for us to partner. So things like transaction banking and, and consumer and our trading businesses, Marquee, which is basically the way we digitally interact with some of our clients. We're, we, are, we do have a financial cloud data platform, which we recently announced with Amazon Web Services. And so those businesses are probably the places where there's the most connection. And I think the thing that I would ask is, I feel like when we get approached, we get approached as a big regulated financial institution, which of course is what we are. But we have a bunch of businesses inside Goldman that look nothing like a typical regulated financial institution. And like the casual dynamic between product people and in the earlier stage side and product people and in our business, I would like that to happen more often and more organically. And I'm trying to figure out actually how to systematically help our team to do that because we are in certain geographies, but we have some presence in California, not a big presence in California. And so the question is, how do we do that? But I would like there to be more regular everyday interaction because I feel like we're at the best when you know what our strategy is and we know what your strategy is and we figure out how to make that work together rather than someone just trying to sell a product, you know, one way or the other between the two. Um, maybe I'll tap your sort of former banker, you know, hat on. Um, I, I mean, any thoughts on on kind of the public markets? Obviously, we have a lot of professional <laughs> investors in the audience. Um, but, uh, you know, any advice for founders who may be thinking of going public in the next few years or how, how, what's your perception on what's been happening kind of in? Yeah, I mean, certainly we're going through a massive period of, of volatility, of giving everything going on in the world between inflation and interest rates and the war in, in Ukraine. And so, you know, there, there are moments in time where everyone sits like at our management committee and like listens like to every word that our chief economist said. And we're certainly like in one of those moments in time. But I do think you know, people in here are, are building companies that are supposed to last for, for really long periods of time. And so getting overly focused on like what's going on at this exact moment, I know, I know, I know can happen. Um, but in some respects, kind of like turn off the TV and stop listening to it and focus on what does the customer want, what you're trying to grow. And on the IPO thing, and I tell, I've said this forever in the 20 some years I did in investment banking, like you got to go public for the right reasons. It's this whole concept of like, you know, focus on the journey, not the destination. If you view the IPO as like the destination, like it's hard because it's kind of the beginning. So once you go public, you've now have a bunch of new investors in there who expect you to perform. So go public for the right reasons, whether it's access to capital, having a currency for acquisitions. Um, and then, you know, make sure that you're building relationships. If you want to go public, building relationships ahead of time with potential investors, sometimes even having those investors obviously come in pre-IPO. And then it's the like under, under promise over deliver. Like the reality is, particularly in those early stages, you have to outperform and build credibility because something will happen. Like at some point, something unforeseen will happen, whether it's because of the market or your business. And you need to have a shareholder base that stays with you. Because if you haven't built those relationships and that credibility and those people all flee um, when, when something happens, it's going to be really hard to re rebuild that up. And so spend the time. I know it's not everyone's favorite thing to like spend time 
hanging out with with potential investors, but it's but it's time well spent, particularly if you focus on the right ones. Awesome. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for for doing it. Thanks, Dave.